Hello and welcome back to the Debt Guys podcast. I am here with my co-host Gio Escalera and today we are going to be talking about standardizing our practices. So Gio, what does that mean to you? Well, same way that we were talking in the previous episode about standardizing our sales process, standardizing our advertising, et cetera, et cetera. It's having a demonstrable, repeatable process that you can easily teach, you know, to someone else. And that's just, you know, that you can write down, take a look at process relatively easily. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what that means exactly, what what it means in the deck world for us at least. Um, you know, especially when you're in competition with, I I would say more the handyman. You know mm-hmm. that that's you're absolutely competing against them to some degree. Uh, so part of it is is explaining how you do things differently, um, and in kind of almost an us versus them scenario. So we're just going to be talking a little bit about what that means in terms of decks, what to look out for, the questions to ask your contractor. You know, we encourage picky customers um yeah it's you, you you have to be picky when you're investing you know upwards of five ten fifteen twenty thirty thousand dollars into your home you want to make sure it's this investment first of all is going to be constructed in the appropriate manner but second of all is gonna look good for the duration of its lifetime you know yeah and that the person you're giving this money to is going to do what they say and so yeah so getting into business you know less than a year ago you know, we had only ever worked for other people building decks. And so, you know, kind of flipping it and being the person who's in charge and making these decisions and being held accountable, it was definitely a learning process that we had to kind of go at through trial and error. Not saying that we made any, like, major mistakes, uh, more just that... Fine-tuning. Yeah, fine-tuning the process and making sure that nothing slips through the cracks as we go through, you know, selling decks. So from the very, like, structural side of it, there is, you know, codes that we have to stick to to ensure that, you know, our our decks will, you know, pass inspection for one. And two, we want them to last, you know. We're not in the business of, you know, s- selling someone a deck, getting them to invest their money, building it, and then having it fall apart five years from now because we didn't build it well. Yeah. Um, we want to be known as the people that, you know, build our decks correctly to code and that will last you know and let's talk about what let's talk about what that means to code i mean basically when we say to code all of uh code in general is based off of the irc Mm -hmm. all right and so the irc gets updated i'm not sure what the interval is but every so often the, the newest version being irc 2024 so you have to keep up with the irc Certain things uh, get changed, certain co- common building practices will kind of get flipped on their head or fine-tuned, refined, etc. So it's all of your building code is supposed to go off of the IRC. IRC is a good um, kind of it's, – it's almost like the Bible yeah. of, of deck building. Uh, but there's kind of a – you know, it's a little different. It's, it's a little more complicated than that just because you know we don't have a frost line here in Texas. Mm-hmm. New York does have a frost line, so things can get a little. That's where you 
where the IRC may not be as specific as you want, you go to local code, like local county municipality code, mm-hmm. and see what they want. So, And for example, just being here in San Antonio, you know, when we're building a deck in San Antonio city limits, it's going to be slightly different than, let's say, New Braunfels, because New Braunfels is known for having very specific... Stringent deck building yeah. codes, yeah. So this, your footings have to be um, different. Your footings have to, like in terms of width, depth, um, when they hit a certain line, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, actual building process, uh, New Braunfels, you have to notch, whereas San Antonio, you can you can use fasteners like structural leg screws, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, if you're doing New Braunfels, uh, always go with a 6x6 six six post uh, notched into your framing members, not... A four by four, I don't believe, will pass inspection in New Braunfels. So, and that's for people who don't live in Texas. That's like forty-five minutes, thirty minutes. It's up the just road. outside. It's, it's like, like a satellite city. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just yeah, just outside, a couple minutes away from downtown. So, it's uh yeah, same thing with Alamo Heights. Alamo Heights is a little less stringent, def, but but each each uh, municipality that you're going to work in has their specific requirements. So. For San Antonio, is a, San Antonio is a little harder. You have to get licensed with San Antonio. What that entails is an FBI background check, uh, just a fee that it's it's about it's just shy of two hundred dollars. Like anything else, really? Yeah, it's just shy of two hundred dollars every two years that you have to renew. New Braunfels, you don't have to get licensed with the city of New Braunfels. You just have to have an insurance policy, million dollar insurance policy. Yep. Um, you have to have an insurance policy with the city of San Antonio as well. Um, I believe the city of San Antonio is also a million dollars, although may not, maybe a half a million, but I'm not entirely sure. Just, Don't quote us on that. Just and so there's different types of licenses. There's a general home improvement contractor license. There's a actual residential building contractor license, which is what we have, and so mm-hmm. so on and so forth. There's a couple different uh, commercial building contractor license. Um, so each one of those has different different requirements, um, so on and so forth. Yeah, and so that kind of leads us into our next topic is so we know what our the codes for us basically building a deck is the bare minimum, right? And so when we look at how we're going to build something, we know okay, you know, we got to do this this and this to make sure it's in code. But as far as the way we build, we kind of go above and beyond that because as we've gone throughout the year, we've realized what we need to do in order to make our decks last as long as we want to. And make sure that we're not up at night. Oh, did we do this? Did we do that? That's a big you know? reason we overbuild is um, sleep. <laughs> you know, so I, I it just feels good knowing you did the yeah, right thing. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's a, a really big reason for overbuilding. You're never gonna regret. And I'm talking about decks. I'm not. You, you got to be smart about where you choose to allocate resources, but you're never going to regret overbuilding the structural members of your of your frame mm-hmm. um, for your deck. You know, because what what what's the worst that's going to go wrong? Your deck's going to last thirty years instead of twenty. Yeah, you know, you're going to have to replace the decking, but your frame's going to be all right. Like the, you have to, you'd much rather overbuild because the alternative is you. Either stick to the bare minimum of the code, or you don't even stick to that, right? You're going uninspected, mm-hmm. and you have problems. So overbuilding is is never a bad idea when you're, you know, in construction. At least in my opinion. Yeah, one of those uh, things that we find ourselves saying uh, as we build a deck is like, 
I'm glad we're not going to be the ones tearing this thing apart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's because a good thing to say. It's yeah. a great thing to say. It's like, it's like when you put something in the back of the truck and you put a bunch of straps over it. That's this thing's not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, it's like that, but deck building. We really pride ourselves in making overbuilt decks. And we found that over the past year that the three things that we do better than we have to, but we, we feel the need to, is our footings. We do concrete footings. Uh, 18 inches to two feet into the ground. Yeah. And that varies, obviously, um, which part of the country you're in. Yeah. New York requires, don't quote, depends where in New York you are, between a 30 and a 40 inch hole because of the frost line, right? Um, yeah. Keep in mind, we're on top of limestone here. Yeah. So, so, so no, we got rock. no, no, yeah. So the code here in San Antonio is about 18 inches for footings, um, for decks. I mean, if you're building a, something else like you know we do decks <laughs> yeah we do decks I, i'll give you pretty much any code for decks i can't say much else but it's actually code here in every part of san antonio to put posts in contact with the ground um and when i say posts i mean you know four by four six by six pressure treated posts um it's completely okay to put them in the ground and encase them in concrete um that's allowed by the city that's an acceptable building practice to them. So I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it. There's decks that have lasted 30, 40 years with posts in the ground, and there's decks that have not made it a full winter. You yeah. know, they've not made a full four seasons with posts in the ground. Lumber these days is extremely unpredictable. What makes pressure-treated lumber weatherproof and uh, very resistant to the outside environment is the percentage of copper inside of so basically when it's treated it's got a copper treatment inside of the grain mm-hmm. and um it used to be a lot higher 10 15 20 years ago the copper concentrate inside of the treated lumber used to be a lot higher and nowadays um obviously since we're trying to you know and I'm doing everything I can to not get political but since we're we're gearing um, everything we do towards more environmentally friendly practices. It's not super environmentally friendly to put loads of copper, zinc, metals into, you know, trees. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they've kind of cut down on the, on the amount of um, supplemental metals going into these treated boards, which in turn results in a lot, a shorter lifespan. Um, so, for for the treated materials, right? The treatment won't last as long. Um, it'll be sooner that it'll be uh, it, it, it'll no longer be pest resistant, um, and just because of the lower concentrate of copper, uh, you're also just going to see a reduced lifespan in general. Yeah. So as deck builders, we kind of have to, you know, knowing that this is happening, we have to assume that the lumber is going to, you know, have a lower side of that copper, even though we get, you know, number one treated. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a higher copper concentrate with yeah. you know the highest that you can get um you know without special ordering um it we have to build a, assuming that you know that's the case that it, it's not going to be as weather resistant and so the way to do that is by doing everything that we can within reason to make it as Displaced least moisture. likely to yeah. yeah to have any water um being held up within the structure yeah and so there are three – well, there's two things that we do for water displacement and then one just for pure structure. Um, so the first one was those uh, – the concrete 
uh, footings. Yeah. So to go back to to circle back to what we were yeah. originally talking about in in the city of San Antonio, it's perfectly fine according to code to put posts into the ground and encase them in concrete. Personally, not a fan. They trap moisture at the bottom, eventually rot the posts at the, at the base and compromise the structure. So, and a lot of times you can't even see it. Yeah, you, be, before it's too late. Yeah, you know, before the, and, and there's no saving it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's the what's the best approach to solve that problem? Instead of digging your post into the ground, what we do is we pour a footing, right? And a footing is essentially imagine that concrete encasing the post, but in a form structure. In our case, it's a sauna tube. It's cylindrical. Um, and then we generally get a quick-drying mix. Um, it's just as strong. has a 4,000 PSI rating. Um, and attach a post base, right? So these post bases are galvanized, um, and it's a wedge anchor. If you don't know how a wedge anchor works, you basically get a masonry drill bit and drill. If it's a half-inch anchor bolt, you get a half-inch bit. So it's a one-to-one there. Um, attach the base. So and by attaching the base... There's a hole marked to where you need to put the anchor bolt. So we'll mark our hole, drill it, attach the base, attach the anchor bolt. And the way that the anchor bolt is, it's a, a wedge anchor. So when you tighten the nut on the top, um, it'll bring it'll bring the bolt up. And basically this wedge at the bottom basically holds the base down um, with friction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's how we attach. And, and then from there, the post gets notched into the into the actual post base and fastened with a code of IRC approved fasteners on the end. Um, so, so it's no longer in contact with the ground. There is about an yeah. inch of gap between the concrete and the treated it, wood. <laughs> the structural post members or structural frame members in general that are, that would have otherwise been in contact with the ground are now in contact with a galvanized post base, which is going to, these post bases have about a have a just an inch gap on the bottom to displace moisture so that it doesn't trap, um, mm-hmm. so that you don't have the same issue again. You know, um, really the big thing, the big thing with houses, the big thing with pergolas, gazebos, decks, arbor. You know, the big thing with any outdoor. I mean, the <laughs> the big thing with skyscrapers is displacing moisture, right? You, if it can't dry, it's gonna die. So, especially, and this is especially true with with wood, um, metal not so much. Now we do do some iron work. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, your welds have to seal. You can't allow any moisture to uh, like uh, trap inside of where a weld would be because mm-hmm. it'll eventually rust the weld out and it won't be structural anymore. That's kind of a different ballpark. Decks are their own animal because you're literally building a deck out of a substrate that was once alive. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're building it out of an organic product. So there's always going to be variants. There's always going to be inconsistencies, inconsistencies hundred percent. Sure. So the, what we're trying to get at is to keep this thing alive for as long as possible. Um, you got to keep it dry. A hundred percent got to keep it dry. And that's not to say like if your rain, if your deck gets rained on. Yeah, it can get wet. World. It just has to be able to dry out a hundred percent. So that means a couple things. So if you're going to install Trex decking, Trex has, and and for those of you who don't know, Trex is essentially uh, PVC composite decking. It has Mm -hmm. a PVC cap and then recycled material on the underside. So it's it's kind of like a different animal from decking with wood. It's uh, supposed to be a longer-lasting alternative. Um, But if you're going to install Trex decking, 
what we've seen a couple guys do is they'll butt it all up flush and they'll face screw. When I mean face screw is like a traditional deck. They put screws through the tops of the boards to, to fasten them to the frame. That's a big no when it comes to, to installing composite decking. If you're going to install composite decking, I 100% recommend – you're already spending the money. Um, I 100% recommend getting a hidden fastener installation system. There's a couple of different ones out there. Um, if you're installing Crex, you know, me personally – I would recommend using Crex Hidden Fasteners, the hideaway system. Um, that's my personal opinion. That's the way to go. Uh, you're going to have about an eighth inch of gap between boards, and that's going to displace moisture down to your frame. So what what do we do with our frame? There's a couple of ways that we can keep it dry. Um, traditional deck building methods uh, would be, you know, you set your decking, and then you put your fascia flush to it on the ends. That causes problems because the fascia is going to trap moisture between that, that end fascia board and the frame. There's going to mm-hmm. be room for moisture to collect there. And eventually when you pull that off, you're going to have issues. So how do we solve that? We solve that with a picture frame. For those of you who don't know what a picture frame is, I'm going to try to paint you a visual picture. Um, imagine the borders right, of a picture frame. So let's take a look. Imagine you're looking at a deck top down. And the deck boards are running away from the house, right? So you're going to have, obviously, the picture frame, but then that last board is not going to be running away from the house. It's going to be running horizontal to the house. So what this does is by installing this picture frame, you gap it outside of the frame an inch and a half, right? So you may be asking yourself, okay, why? So what happens when you gap it an inch and a half is that you install this board so it's going to displace water on the top right down the fascia so water will not be trapping in between the frame and the fascia but also on the back side where your joists are it's going to be displacing water on the ends of the joists not into the tops of them yeah you really don't want water be, to be getting trapped between your uh your joists and then your uh your rim your rim, your rim joist and the reason is because a really good rule of thumb for decks in general is end grain is always a weak connection. So any end- that's where we're making cuts. So like yeah. it's basically an entry into the center of the board. Yes, where you know likely under the end of the board. So yeah, if I were to cut a two by six, right, I can nail anywhere on it or screw anywhere onto that two by six, except the end grain for long term structural attachment. Now, that's not to say you can't nail end grain to hold things up, you know, to hold your deck frame in place while you're working, but you always have to come through on end grain and do some sort of post attachment, some sort of, you know, structural lag screw, tying it into anything other than the end grain to hold. Because you got to remember also the treatment that they soak these boards in doesn't go all the way to the center of the board a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So when you're cutting it, you're basically giving an entry to the non-treated side of the board, which is the middle of it. Yeah, and it also just rots out quicker. Yeah, your end grain is not structural, which is a problem, and that's what's holding up your deck. And so that leads me to our second uh, building practice that we have really standardized across all of our platforms, which is the uh, joist hangers. The joist hanger, yeah, <laughs> required by code, um, obviously. But lots of guys, lots of guys will substitute joist hangers. I know, and, and not naming any names, but. There's a, there's a couple 
you know, builders here in town that will substitute joist hangers with pressure blocking. This kind of creates an issue um, because we're, we're circling back to the same problem that we were talking about previously of trapping moisture. So the way a pressure uh, – let me first explain how a joist hanger works. A joist hanger is essentially a U-shaped metal bracket. Um, depending on the size, it will have a certain amount of holes for nails to go into to tie it into the frame and to also tie the joist hanger to the joist, right? So it's being tied into the frame. It's being tied into the joist all in one. And it's also adding support underneath yeah, it. Yeah, and, and then it also has this – I don't know how you would describe it's like it. It's like a lip It's almost. like a little cradle yeah. at the bottom that extends about two inches past. Uh, so it shoots out about two inches, and it basically – the term joist hanger, I mean, the joist is when it's hanging, you install this to kind of cradle it, right? So that it prevents the joist from Any sinking sag, or, yeah, yeah s- from sagging. So, you know, that's the best way to go. These joist hangers are always galvanized, so they're obviously rated for outdoor use um, when matched with appropriate fasteners. Um, so, but they're a pain to install. They're, yeah, there's no, there's no super, either, easy way to say it. They're super time consuming. And um, they're expensive, you know. Mm-hmm. They they can get really expensive, and they can get really tedious. Um, and not only are the joist hangers expensive, but the joist hanger nails are expensive. So they're ten penny galvanized. Ten penny, yeah. So ten penny galvanized nails. Um, it's not cheap. So there is an alternative to using joist hangers, which is called pressure blocking. And we pressure block our pergolas. Because most of the time that moisture is going to get displaced by the shingles anyway on the overhang of the ledger. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a good building practice there. But I don't recommend pressure blocking your deck because when you, when you do that, you're going to trap moisture in between your joists. So you still have an end grain attachment on the rim. But it's now structural because it's being tightened by a pressure block. right? But it's not a long-term structural attachment because the pressure block is going to rot out by trapping moisture in between the band board and the block and the joists. So it's basically you're adding a crease for water to get into 100%. to trap between your block and your rim joist, which means now you're not just rotting the connections, you're mm-hmm. rotting the actual structural members, structure, the, meaty. Yeah. Uh, What's holding your joist. deck up. Yeah. yeah. Which is obviously a problem. The only thing is. You know, the structure you added might give you a few more years before you start to notice something like that. And by then, the contractor that did it is long gone. <laughs> and whatever warranty, well, if you yeah, had one, is gone. Yeah, warranty you might have had is expired. It's not their problem anymore. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, not saying... It'll not work. Say, not saying that post in the ground or pressure blocking is uh, is unprofessional or anything. It's just... In in the time, these are the things that set a 15-year deck apart from a 30-year deck, right? And we have every intention of building a deck to last as long as physically possible. And it's a shame. You will see some very pretty decks that just are not built the right way. We see it all the time when we have to tear them down. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and in all honesty, a lot of the demos that we do... um, Granted, there's some that are just god awful, but <laughs> some of the demos that we do are are for the most part good looking decks. Yeah, they're good looking decks. Um, the issue lies in the frame, and it's you know, hey, I'm walking on my deck and it's got this wobble, it's got this weird bounce. Um, hey, my kid was out on the deck the other day, and uh, a piece of railing just kind of fell off. You know, it's like 
these are the things that breed distrust with contractors is these uh, shoddy building practices that punish the client you know for no apparent reason because they just don't know any better so if you are a homeowner and you're trying to educate yourself on how to go about getting a deck built the right way or maybe we've had a couple of people that are super inclined to do it themselves um just a couple things that we would recommend and we'll boil it down to the three joist hangers footings and one we didn't touch on joist tape mm-hmm. um joist tape and it's very it's a very hot button topic in the industry a lot of guys no, swear by no it a lot of guys can agree do yeah. not think it's useful at all and so joist tape for y'all who don't know it's like a tar how would you describe it like it's, a, it's depending on what you get but yeah most brands are going to use butanol it's a but- okay. it's a butanol tape um the way it works and I'll, I'll describe it in relatively short terms. But the way it works is essentially a black tape that you install on on your joists, right? And so when you penetrate the – because, okay, let's, let's give the issue. When you penetrate the joist from up top with a screw or a nail, that provides a hole for water to get into and rot the joist from the inside out. So the solution is to apply joist tape – on the on the actual joist and displace water. The way that this butanol tape works is that when it's penetrated, it has a self-sealing self-healing property where it'll basically wrap itself. It's just really sticky. It's as it like heats up, yeah, as it heats up, it basically seals whatever holes. Yeah, it'll created. wrap itself around the screw or around you know, so it it'll displace the moisture off to the sides. Um, so that is one way to go about it. Um, there's a lot of debate. Uh, I most people will tell you that joist tape is absolutely necessary over any double beams. Mm-hmm. What we mean by a double beam is two um, dimensional pieces of lumber that are nailed together f- for structural purposes. So when we do a double beam, it'll be like two two by sixes nailed together, and then that way we can span where we would have been able to span six feet. We can probably span nine, right? Um, double beans are just more structural and give an attachment for your actual for your joists. The issue with them is they do the same thing as the pressure blocking. Now you have two boards butted yes. up next to now each other. Now you have a moisture trap. So now yeah. we, you know, to get the water from going in between them to going outside of them is where yes. the tape comes in. Exactly. So what the tape does is it'll displace the moisture that would have otherwise been trapped in between the double beams um, or any any piece of lumber that's you know, um, trapped between another. It'll displace that moisture off to the side. Yeah, and so, you know, it's been kind of trial and error figuring out when... So, obviously, we do joist hangers and the footings on everything now. Uh But as we're figuring out our processes, we're trying to decide when do we, you know, do the joist tape. Because joist tape is is, expensive. It's about $30 a roll, and it's only, what, 50 feet? A roll gets you about 50 feet. So $30 per 50 feet. So... You know, an average size deck is going to be about $200 worth of tape. Yeah, anywhere between two to $300 worth of tape if you're covering every member. Of yeah, the every deck. joist, every rim joist. Um, and so we kind of had to decide, okay, do we want to just incorporate this price of tape into our prices or do we want to go about it by talking to the homeowner and seeing if it's something that they think is necessary and just give them the, the, the really option. transparent yeah. breakdown Hey, we can do this. It's going to cost this much. 
and it'll grant you, you know, maybe from a 20-year deck to a 30-year deck. Yes. And, you know, what we found is that a lot a lot of times these uh, homeowners are like, well, we're only going to be here, you know, five to ten years. And it'll definitely – I mean my opinion, my personal building opinion is, you know, you have to tape your doubled-up members for sure. Oh, for sure. That's going to push you from, a like you said, a 20-year to a 30-year deck. Or that's that's going to give you that, like, uh, that top-of-the-line longevity. Now – is taping your joists necessary? In my personal opinion, no. Is it going to help in terms of longevity? Marginally, you'll probably get. Uh, I, I and like it's hard to say when it gets down to these a, decades. If you're, you're you get to a point where you're splitting hairs, I just I it, personally I don't think it's worth. We don't live in a rainforest. Exactly. So. <laughs> I don't think it's worth to put on individual joists, but I think it's a necessity to put over double beams, triple beams, um, any structural members that are sandwiched together. Yeah, and like one time we did it was when we did the redecking um, over off of 281. And mm-hmm. so it's this 800-square-foot deck that already has holes all across the joist because yes. we had to rip up the decking. And so in that that scenario, it was necessary to put the tape just so that the holes that are no longer being used are not open to the elements and getting filled with water. To clarify, that that was a, a Trex redeck. Yes. We do that on occasion where a, a client's frame uh, is, in, is in still good enough, healthy shape to use, and it's way so a brand new composite deck is roughly $37 a square foot and a Trex redeck is $22 a square foot so it's significantly more cost effective to, especially when it's 800 square feet oh yeah 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 and upwards of that yeah so when when you can do a redeck it's it's a really good way to to save some money and still have a product that it looks brand new it look great i love that deck um but yeah so like that's a scenario where the the tape would be necessary and it was, and we ended up doing it and it wasn't cheap, but it was necessary. No, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so those are the three biggest like, uh, standardized practices that I think we've made sure to incorporate into all of our buildings or at least most of them. I I mean, you know, I'm not saying every builder has to abide by the, by those rules or whatever. They don't, not everybody has to, has to build the way we do, but a hundred percent, whether you build with us or not, Choose a contractor whom you find trustworthy and ask them these simple questions. Just, hey, are your posts in the ground or they are Are they on a footing? You know, uh, Do you use joist hangers or are you, are you just attaching to the rim board? And do, is there going to be any joist tape applied? Um, that's a really good ballpark. You know, your contractor should be pretty upfront and open. Now, one thing we have noticed is a lot of the people selling decks aren't really the ones building them. Which I think is a problem, personally. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it's the nature of the business. Um, but it definitely helps when, when the person who's selling you your deck is going to be the one building it. And we kind of have that advantage where we are super – what's the word I'm looking for? Informed? We're, like, well, we're, we're informed, but we're, we're, we're off the cusp. I mean, we know we can come up with solutions quickly. Um, because we know your project, we know yeah. the ins and outs. I mean, we sold it to you. It's, there's, we're not playing a game of telephone between a salesperson, an owner, a yeah. builder, and then to an employee. It's it's a it's a very streamlined process that everyone is a part of, and everyone can. And by everyone, we mean the builder, the salesperson, us, mm-hmm. and you, the client. You know, so 
I'm not saying that that's the only route you need to go if you want to go with a really big company. They have great warranties, great customer service most of the time. Um, but just inform yourself as a customer. And if you don't know what Joystape is, um, and we didn't do a good a job, uh, as good of a job as we might have wanted to explaining it, I I encourage you to do your due diligence and uh, go on Google. Stuff's readily available for you to look up, and there's you can always inform yourself, you know. But um, that's 100% the way to go about it. So be uh, be an informed client. We love informed clients. Anyway. Yeah, when you know what you want, we can make it happen a lot easier. So, um, but yeah, that, that's our standardized practices that we've uh, we've picked up over the last year, and um, you know we're pretty proud of that. We're yeah. we're we're proud that we're building things that'll last the appropriate amount of time. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, thanks for listening to us today, guys. Uh, that was our standardized practices. We'll see you in the next episode, and uh, yeah, this has been the deck, guys. Later, later. <laughs>